Tonight we're going to look at the ninth commandment, or the ninth word. It says, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And we're going to have two other readings, um, the first of which is from Deuteronomy chapter 19. So we'll start reading at verse 15. One witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offense they may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If a malicious witness takes a stand to accuse someone of a crime, the two people involved in the dispute must stand in the presence of the Lord before the priests and the judges who are in office at the time. The judges must make a thorough investigation And if the witness proves to be a liar, giving false testimony against a fellow Israelite, then do to the false witness as that witness intended to do to the other party. You must purge the evil from among you. The rest of the people will hear of this and be afraid, and never again will such an evil thing be done among you. Show no pity. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. And our second reading is going to be from Mark chapter 7, starting at verse 14. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, His disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. This is God's word. Well, evening, one and all. Uh, Deuteronomy 19 is uh, as good a place as any um, to, uh, to let your Bibles uh, fall open. As uh, John said, we're in the ninth uh, word, these ninth of the, uh, the ten commandments. And uh, quite simply this evening, uh, I'm going to tell you not to lie. That, that's it, really. Uh, in the words of the Black Eyed Peas, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't lie. Let's pray as we begin. Our great God and Father, we thank and praise you that as we open the scriptures, as we've just sung, we have words of truth, eternal, unfailing words of truth, words of truth that don't fail. And our prayer now is that they would indeed prevail over our unbelief. Father, thank you that you don't just speak truth, but by your spirit, you enable Christian believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to live 
differently, to live as people of truth. Father, be at work amongst us, even now, by your word, so we'd live that way. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, how many lies do you tell a day? You probably don't keep a record. Um, not many people do, I, I, I guess. I don't know how many lies you tell a day. Uh, the, uh, the Washington Post, um, some would observe, uh, if you know the States, they're, they're not great fans of Donald Trump and vice versa. They don't really have a big uh, man hug going on there. They sort of hate one another. But anyway, the Washington Post keeps a record, daily record, of, um, of the lies that Donald Trump tells. And uh, it reckons over 2018, uh, it's, about, it's 15. The average out at 15 a day. Not that bad, you might think. Uh, others put it as high as 30. Of course, it slightly depends how you want to calculate these things. Exaggerations, are they included? Uh, misdirection, uh, is that included? Uh, the Washington Post just goes for straight-out lies um, rather than exaggerate. What about you? What would it be? I mean, if you do include the others, sort of misleading comments, uh, exaggeration. What do you reckon? Uh, I read this other bit of research by uh, University of Massachusetts. Um, what they did, they, um, they interviewed people for 10 minutes. They did it over a number of weeks, of course, about 1,000 people. They interviewed people for 10 minutes, just asked them a series of pretty prosaic questions mostly, uh, and recorded them. And then uh, a few hours later, so they entertained them, and then for a few hours later, when everyone was sort of was a little dispassionate about it, got the people to watch the videos of themselves again and clock how many times they'd lied and just be honest about it. 60% of those who they did it to could not go 10 minutes without lying. Wow. Not even 10 minutes. And of course, most here think, yeah, yeah, that's bad, isn't it? Well, I'm one of the 40%. Um, are you? Well, I hope you are. Apart from, of course, even of the 60%, before they were shown their 10-minute video again, do you think you lied? Overwhelmingly, no. No, I didn't. Just told it straight. Then the video is replayed, and they go, ooh, ouch, ah, ah. And um, they averaged out three times in uh, 10 minutes. See, we, we just do it. No one has to teach us how to lie. Small children, pretty good at it. Just do it instinctively, unconsciously. We're not very good, actually, at telling the truth. So we come to this ninth word, uh, ninth commandment in Deuteronomy. We're looking at them in the book of Deuteronomy. Obviously, they, they appear in Exodus as well, but Deuteronomy and, and, and how they get explained in the later chapters once it's fairly straightforward, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. As with many of these uh, words or commandments, there's a sort of strict, narrow interpretation. Here it's talking about testimony in a court. Don't give false testimony in court. But of course, there's a broader interpretation in the Bible. Don't lie. And so uh, that's how we're going to look at it. Okay? So three things. No false testimony. That's the sort of narrow definition of in a court. No lies or deceit, that's the sort of broader biblical picture. And then positively, you're going to look at the beauty of truth. Okay, those three. No false testimony, no lies or deceit, and then lastly, the beauty of truth. 
Let's go. So first then, let's look at the narrow definition of what it's talking about. Uh, No false testimony. There it is, Deuteronomy 5, verse 20. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Don't quibble about neighbor. Who is your neighbor? In Israel, it's another Israelite. New Testament, Jesus, who's my neighbor? Well, it's who you come across. Don't quibble too much about that word. It's someone you're in some sort of relationship with. Now, if you're there in Deuteronomy 19, it's very interesting. Here you get amplification on the commandment. And uh, let me just make a few observations. Deuteronomy 19 in that little section that um, John read for us, 15 to 21. A few little things. First would be that you always, in a court, you've got to have multiple witnesses. So verse 15, one witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offense they may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So there's no CSI in the ancient world, uh, no DNA evidence, uh, no CCTV to catch stuff out. It's all about the witnesses. And you've got to have at least two or three Notice also, second little thing here, the scrutiny of the witnesses. It's so important you get this right. So verse 16, if a malicious witness takes the stand to accuse someone of a crime, the two people involved in the dispute must stand in the presence of the law before the priests and the judges who are in office at the time. Judges must make a thorough investigation. Here's the kicker. If the witness proves to be a liar, giving false testimony against a fellow Israelite, then due to the false witness as that witness intended to do to the other party. You must purge the evil from among you. So we had this red, if you were here when we looked at the week of uh, don't commit adultery, if you accuse someone falsely of adultery, well, the penalty for that is severe. You would suffer that penalty if it's an unfair accusation. You want to get this right. You might think, ouch, quite strong, isn't it? But of course, if you're going on the stand and testifying and someone's going to go to prison for 10 years for whatever it may be, grievous bodily harm, and they've not done it, you're going to destroy someone's life. Even accusing someone falsely, you could destroy their life. So you want to be serious about it. I watched the other day, well, a little few weeks ago, um, not, not many of you would have seen it, a classic film, In the Name of the Father, with um, multiple Oscar winner, Daniel Day-Lewis, thank you, just went out of my head. Um, uh, yeah, bonus to you. Um, uh, brilliant film if you've not seen it. So the, the film's about the, the Guildford Four, which none of you remember, but 1978, four. Uh, 1978 then, uh, the IRA bombed a pub in Guildford, and uh, four people were, were accused of uh, uh, the crime, and uh, with them with a further seven who were involved in it. 11 people were imprisoned for uh, 15 years for blowing up this bomb. I mean, it was a big deal. Uh, Not many of you remember it, but 65 people died. It was the first real IRA attack on the mainland uh, as part of that series of troubles that, you know, grew into bombs going off in London. It was a big deal emotionally in the nation at the time. The police under huge pressure to find who did it. And they got the four bombers and the seven who assisted them. So 11 people then went, went to prison. The problem was they were all innocent. And uh, evidence sort of emerged over time. Uh, And eventually there's a retrial. And the judge uh, who overturned the original verdict blatantly said in court, these 11 have gone to prison because the police officers involved in the case 
knowingly, willfully lied. Now, please don't misunderstand me. Um, I think they're under enormous pressure at the time. I think policing is an onerous, dangerous, often unloved profession, and most of the time they do a fantastic job. But you've got to get that right. Three policemen went on trial for lying, and even though the evidence was pretty compelling, uh, they were acquitted by a civilian jury. Actually, there's probably going to be another trial next year in case new evidence has emerged further. There's enough momentum for a further retrial. But you see what's happened there? Not only have 11 people gone to jail and one of them died in prison when they were innocent, their lives ruined. But what does that do to confidence in a justice system? And if you start to lose confidence in a justice system, then nationally you're sunk. Matters that you get it right. And that is what Deuteronomy is saying here. You see the purpose in uh, verse 20. The rest of the people will hear of this and be afraid and never again will such an evil thing be done against you. Well, yeah, uh, I guess you can see how that might work. Uh, very briefly, another thing. There's the, the, the point of verse 21, which you've probably heard quoted, is limited retribution. So in context, show no pity, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. It's saying the punishment should fit the crime. You go on the stand and accuse a person of grievous bodily harm and they go to prison for 10 years and you've got that wrong and you know, you go to prison for 10 years. That's the point in context of that verse, okay? It's not encouraging vengeance, it's not encouraging retribution, it's just the, the, the punishment must fit the crime. That's all it's saying. Okay. Let me fast, last little thing, it's not there on them, but just on trials. I wonder if we've got um, Proverbs 19, uh, Leviticus 5. Let me read them. Proverbs 29, 24. The accomplices of thieves are their own enemies. They're put under oath and dare not testify. Leviticus 5. If anyone sins because they do not speak up when they hear a public charge to testify regarding something they've seen or learned about, they'll be held responsible. I guess just the last little thing on public law and order, trials. If you, can give, if you should be giving evidence in a case, you've got to do it. If you've seen a crime and think, oh, yeah, I could, yeah, I could testify, but it's just so much hassle, that's not okay. Actually, biblically, if you have evidence which can sway a trial one way or another, you should be involved. On the more prosaic level, you see a little collision, two cars. You know, I, look, I know it's inconvenient and I, I know it takes time. You should offer yourself. Look, I saw he drove into you. Here's my number if it helps, if it comes to it. I know it's a hassle. I know, I know. But I think biblically, to create that sort of environment, that's a good thing to do. Okay. No false testimony. That's the sort of narrow application of uh, the ninth word, okay? No false testimony in a court. But that is a limited sort of daily impact to you and me. Let's broaden it out, secondly then. No lies or deceit. No lies or deceit. Now we had Jesus, uh, the words of Jesus read from uh, uh, Mark chapter 7. Uh, we can turn it up or we may flick it up on the screen again. 
Jesus is really talking about then about what defiles. But it's interesting, the little list that comes up at the end. Uh, Matthew, Mark 7, rather, verse uh, 20. So Jesus says, it's what comes out of a person. That's what defiles them. And then verse 21, you get this list. Includes sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. So at least two of those are covered by the ninth word, deceit, slander, arrogance possibly if it's exaggeration. Maybe that's a a no-lying thing as well. Let me just make three little applications then uh, under no lies or deceit. Let me just push it in three directions. We could go anywhere really, but no slander, no exaggeration, no truthiness. Okay, No slander, no exaggeration, no truthiness sort of vagueness about the truth. Let me just push it in those three directions. Slander. Slander can do enormous damage to anyone's reputation. So you get the high-profile cases, uh, 2014, I think it was, uh, Cliff Richard then. Do you remember this? When there was a great deal, Operation U-Tree, someone you remember was wildly exaggerated. So uh, Cliff Richard was accused of, um, about 25 years ago, sexually abusing um, a minor. One person made an accusation. Uh, the police, with enormous exuberance, went in en masse to arrest him, and um, uh, the BBC were tipped off, and they sent a helicopter to film all this, and uh, enormously stressful. For two years, this sort of thing rumbled on. Is there any, two years later, there is no evidence, and it's not entirely clear, but it appears that one person thought, I can make some money here, and so had thrown some mud. There was absolutely no, so it appears, not absolutely clear on that. So for two years, you got that hanging over you. And he writes quite eloquently of the enormous stress of how some friends abandoned, of how he lost all sorts of gigs. I mean, I don't know why you pay and go and see him now, but anyway, there it is. Enormously stressful. And actually only last year, did the BBC agree that they had caused a number of this stress for stoking the flames for slandering him? And he got significant compensation for it. Oh, look, slander can ruin someone. Closer to home, I guess, in the church setting, Paul takes up the theme of, in the New Testament, two or three witnesses. In 1 Timothy 5, Paul insists, do not entertain an accusation against an elder in church unless it's brought by two or three witnesses. It's interesting, the two or three again. But don't, don't accuse an elder in a church, because not only can it ruin the individual's reputation, it really damages the church itself. About a decade or ago, um, a woman here was very angry with me. A woman at CCM, she was very annoyed. Uh, we had asked her to step down from leading a group. It was just lifestyle issues, made it inappropriate for her to be leading a, a group. Um, she was very angry about this, and so as part of her sort of anger, decided to um, accuse me of a number of things, sort of gross hypocrisy uh, as a minister. Now, she didn't do it here. I don't think it would have gained a lot of traction here. Uh, I think people knew me and her respectively well enough. Um, but in her workplace, which happened to be a sort of Christian organization, <laughs> Matt Fuller, <laughs> well, Christians in the workplace went to different churches, so this got spread about in different churches. And eventually a church leader came to me and said, do you know you're accused of this? Ouch. Ouch. That was personally painful. 
because it damages the reputation of a whole church. It's Christchurch Mayfair, they, well, the leadership's all hypocritical there. There was not, not a hint of, not one ounce of truth in it. But she was just angry and thought, what can I do? In truth, she was pretty contrite over it. Hadn't expected it to get that far. And don't slander. Or in an internet age, <laughs> that's golly, written, libel, spoken slander, it's just everywhere. Just goes quickly. And of course, as soon as anyone is slandered or spoken badly of, you're, you're meant to respond quickly. Uh, if you don't respond to criticize the individual, well, then you're complicit. If, if you like what they say, then you're complicit. You're, you're, you're sort of this urgency to sort of respond really, really quickly without actually any evidence at all. It's nuts. It's a bit out of control. It's harder now than ever, I think. But I wonder, no slander, the sort of most common manifestation perhaps for you and me might be gossip. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 8. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. <laughs> Proverbs 18, 8. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They're like the best of canapes. You're like, I just adore canapes. You know, at a wedding reception, I would happily consume my body weight in canapes. And as it grows, eat even more. To, uh, I would happily do that. I think they're just the best thing. I mean, when you get good canapes, you know, and some, some weddings are fantastic. You know, you know, what's coming around? Oh, like, Mini burgers, fantastic. What's coming up? Mini fish and chips, fantastic. Uh, these things are going, where are they coming out from? Where's the kitchen? There, let me, let me uh, stand by the kitchen. And, um, oh, hello, yeah, I don't mind if I do. Um, fantastic, I love, because you just, they, they're delicious and they're not doing, they're just small. They're just, they're small, they're not doing anything. They're not having an impact upon the waistline. They're just tiny. I'll, I'll eat my dinner later. Um, well, that's what gossip is like. Ooh, mm, that's nice. Mm, and it's just, it's just a small thing. It's not really doing any damage. That's gossip, says the writer of Proverbs. We love it. In the truth, we, we love hearing particularly slightly negative things about others. They make us feel good. And also, we just like being in the know. But the negative things, we quite like them. And then we pass it on. Did you know? Oh, yes. I always thought so. The sort of rule of thumb, what I'm saying about, whatever it is, James Kite, <laughs> what I'm saying about him, would he be content for me to pass this on? It's just the rule of thumb. It doesn't always work. But if the answer is no, he'd be really unhappy if I pass this on. It's probably gossip, probably, possibly. I mean, it's not infallible, but just as a rule of thumb. That's slander. Unless you're certain something is true, don't do that. No slander. Second little thing, no exaggeration. Because we love a little, we all love to add 10%, uh, a little 10% to, uh, to the truth to make ourselves uh, uh, sound good. This is, um, this is hopeless. The, uh, the local pool I swim in, 
Uh, there's a pool just not it's only about five minutes away. So I, I know a number of people who go there and uh, swim there just by the nature of working locally, a number of the businessmen, and uh, I've done sort of uh, gym stuff classes. I know a number of the, the people who swim. And um, here's the question that for a period of time just completely undid me. Say, so I was swimming away. How far did you swim today? Two kilometers? 50 lengths, just 50 lengths today. I found, I mean, it's just so pathetic. But I found that question for a period of time completely undid me. Because I never wanted to admit, you know, 500 meters or, um, or something. I, haven't had my, I just never wanted to admit. And I, I thought that generally, I think I consider myself, as we probably all do, but someone who is pretty concerned with telling the truth. But in that one, pathetic, small arena. I just kept exaggerating. I wasn't terrible. It wasn't like I said, yeah, 10 miles. Um, just a little, just a little inflation. So I had to resolve when I went swimming. If anyone asks me, I will tell the truth and ab just absorb their laughter. That's fine. I can do that. It is just about how far I've swum. Just a little exaggeration. It's pathetic. Absolutely pathetic. But uh, statistically, 40% of people will lie on their CVs. 90% of people lie on online dating profiles. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, but classically for men, they exaggerate how much they earn and how, well, how tall they are, uh, hopeless, and uh, apparently women exaggerate uh, or minimize their weight. But anyway, they lie. We lie, lie, lie. We lie about ourselves. We like to inflate things a little bit. We lie about others. We exaggerate about others, their failings. Do so you recognize the scenario? Uh, your, your boss has to correct a piece of work that you've done. And there's quite a lot of corrections, actually. Uh, and you don't like it. And you go back and plop at your desk and say to a peer, oh, goodness sake, Alex was in such a foul mood today. He was really grumpy, really aggressive with me. Oh, that bloke needs a holiday, for goodness sake. Now, the truth is, he was very calm. He was entirely reasonable. Just your piece of work was hopeless, and he had to correct it. But you don't want to admit that to yourself. So you exaggerate how unreasonable uh, someone else was. You ever do that? We exaggerate other people's faults. I read a great thing uh, in the week by um, uh, psychology professors in the States, Dan McAdams. He talks about from our adolescence, all of us view our lives as this grand narrative, and we are the hero. He says, we all instinctively shuffle and warp our memories of the past. All of us are brilliant screenwriters who turn our pitiful selves into heroic characters in our movies of our minds. We subconsciously edit events so when we replay them, we are always the good guys and someone else has always wronged us. Instinctively, see what he's saying? Just how we remember stuff, how we remember that argument we had yesterday. Instinctively, without even trying to do it, we remember things to our benefit and to others' detriment. In other words, it's actually really hard not to exaggerate. You have to consciously work 
to not do it. No slander, no exaggeration. Uh, and last little thing here, no truthiness. No weasel words, no deliberate misdirection. Do you see in the paper this week, so uh, Boris Johnson was uh, reprimanded uh, for lying in his uh, Daily Telegraph or Sunday Telegraph uh, column. He said, uh, the, the surveys nationally showed that a majority of the UK population wanted no deal. That is simply untrue. There is not a single poll that says a majority of the population want no deal. Um, so you just... Lied. It's just a blatant lie. He's gone into print. Now, the Telegraph, in their defense, Mr. Johnson, this is a quote, was entitled, to, was entitled to make sweeping generalizations based upon his opinions. The piece was clearly comical and could not be reasonably read as a serious empirical analysis of hard factual matters. Or, as you might say when you've done something wrong, it's just banter. That's what he's saying. What an extraordinary thing to say at defense. Obviously, a journalist is entitled to make sweeping generalizations on his own opinions which aren't, which aren't true. What? That's appalling. That's lying. But what happens? People just go, yeah, and roll their eyes. Because, well, we're just used to being lied to. And what an impact upon public life. People don't expect politicians to tell the truth, and so they can get away with lying. Look, no slander, no exaggeration, no truthiness. But what about you? How do you do on those things? Are you an honest person? Remembering that research tells us that we can't assess our own honesty really very well. Let's pause. Uh, I just want to pause and ask why. Why do we lie? It's not uh, still under no lies or deceit. Why do we do it? Uh, here are a few reasons to check out. Uh, why do we lie? Uh, one would be reputation. We want to diminish the mistakes we've made and, and enhance, exaggerate our triumphs. So in the workplace, we lie to make ourselves appear better. To our friends, we lie. 75% of people admit to lying to their friends. Often it's small things. So you plan to see someone on a Thursday night and you just think, oh, I can't be bothered. Uh, I'm just tired. I just want a night in on the sofa. And so you say, sorry, can't make it tonight. Stuck at work or feeling a bit under the weather. Uh, just a small lie. But 75% of people say they do it. Why, why, why not just be honest? Well, because it makes you sound pathetic, like you're not a very good friend. And we don't want our reputation to suffer, so we lie. That's how it goes. The, uh, the video survey I mentioned at the beginning is amazing. One of the questions was, um, films, what films do you like? Have you seen The Godfather? Remember a classic uh, film, one Oscar, um, uh, Marlon Brando and others, uh, Robert De Niro. Uh, have you, Godfather, have you seen... No, that's not right, is that was the sequel. Uh, what was the first? Al Pacino, thank you. Um, this is very hot today on their names. Who's the film buff? <laughs> Al Pacino. Anyway, uh, brilliant film, The Godfather, but, but a classic. You know, it's in, it's in the canon as a classic. 30% of people admitted they lied. They had never seen it, but they wanted to appear cool. 
It's just to an interviewer they've never met before on camera. But still 30% of people lied because they want to be the sort of person that watches good films. Reputation is one of the reasons we lie. Comfort. We lie for our comfort. Telling the truth is harder work. If you're in work and an employee is not doing good enough, actually having an awkward conversation when you talk about their performance and things which need to change, it's hard work. Much easier on a form to say they're doing fine. They have to have a difficult conversation. So we sort of lie for our comfort. What about a little white lie? Um, does my bum look big in this? Um, and you think, how, how do I answer that? I'm not even sure, there, that's a sort of, I'm stuffed. There is no way to answer that question. Um, that sort of thing, a little white lie. Well, I think that good relationships don't need them. If you're in a good relationship, if things are healthy, there's enough compliments Gentlemen, did you hear me? The, um, uh, there's enough compliments, uh, generally, uh, being thrown around that the, the, the small truths are fine. In, in a friendship, a marriage, if they're healthy, they can survive truth. Do you like my new haircut? Um, it's bold. Uh, if I'm honest, I think you look better without the green dreadlocks, but, you know, that, it's okay, it's okay. Um, you know, you don't need to tell little white lies. Just to, in healthy relationships, it's only when things are bumpy that actually you feel the need to do it. I'm not sure. Comfort. That's uh, so a reputation we lie for. Comfort we lie for. Sometimes we just lie to win. Uh, I was on holiday last week, um, just on a uh, took a journey up the volcano we were staying nearby and I got talking to this guy he happened to be a lawyer and he was an interesting guy nice guy got chatting he's a partner in a law firm uh, in the city and um, uh, we were just talking about various cases and odds and ends and you know it was fun it was, you know, past the time uh, but then he came out with one thing um, which he said you know actually I found he knew I was a vicar and he said you won't like this uh, but um, one of the things I found uh, that really makes a difference is quite often I lie because people don't expect it. And it really gives you an edge. I said, oh, do you not have a moral problem with that? No, no, because um, clients pay me to win. Do you not have a professional problem with that? I, we reprimanded. Uh, no, I'm pretty clever in the lies I tell. Wow. Wow. Lie just to win. But a number, if you, you know, <laughs> a number who work in the city perhaps have to bid for work as a whatever it may be, a, a surveyor, accountant, or whatever it may be, you'll, you'll have, you know, those sort of professional services, they all have bids teams making bids for work. And as someone said to me the, uh, fairly recently, oh yeah, but everyone over promises and under delivers. Well, that's not okay, is it? But that's why people lie to win to win an argument, to win a Brexit, to win a case, to win some business, to win. There's a number of reasons. I guess we lie our reputation for comfort, to win. But of course, in all of these things, you've got to consider the impact of lying. 
because you lie in court, a whole legal system can come into disrepute. You lie in all the bids you make, your firm's credibility suffers. But more acutely, in interpersonal relationships, you lie, you can't be trusted. You can't have a good friendship. You can't have a good marriage. I've told this story before, but... Um, years ago, late teens, I was 17 or 18, uh, I had a friend, uh, a guy who was older than me, about 15 years older than me, uh, Peter, used to go out, he, we got on pretty well, uh, my parents didn't like me going out with Peter because he was a number of years, and he was a bad influence, and he probably was looking back. Um, uh, one night I went out drinking with Peter, now I told my parents I was going to the cinema with Stuart, you followed so far? Um, so, uh, the, uh, what are you doing tonight, going to the cinema with Stuart, oh, okay, great, and I was going drinking. Uh, with Peter, because that's what we did. I mean, that, I, there's no other agenda. Uh, this was before I was a Christian. Okay, I wasn't a Christian. Um, and uh, the only problem was that evening that Stuart rang and said, hi, is Matt there? No, he's with you at the cinema. No, he isn't. Um, and then they clocked what had happened. Uh, I got in, I don't know, quarter to midnight or something. My father had, wake, had stayed up. And uh, I walked in. He greeted me and said, you lied to me. Uh, uh, although probably not, because we've been drinking. Um, it probably wasn't that quick. You, what? Okay, uh, I was out with Peter. Son, our relationship can withstand all sorts of things you get wrong. But if you lie to me, we have no relationship. Don't lie. And for some reason, that evening, the penny really dropped. And as far as I can remember, I never did. Um, in the remaining 30 years that he was alive. And so now, what I said in our family, from the youngest age, kids, you know, toddlers, just don't lie, because when you lie, it breaks our relationship. Because we can't try, I don't know what's true anymore. I don't know what I can listen to. I don't know what I can accept. And that's true of any relationship interpersonally. You lie, it's broken. That's what happens. No false testimony, that's the narrow. Uh, no lies or deceit, that's a sort of broader application. Don't slander, don't exaggerate, no truthiness, uh, roughly around the same sort of issue. The, um, let's lastly think, the beauty of truth, very lastly. Let me consider the beauty of truth. Here is something that's got to have appeal. Did you know in the last decade, trust in the police has dropped 23%, trust in doctors, the medical profession, no doctors, just doctors, has dropped 11%, uh, trust in teachers has dropped 18%, trust in the BBC has dropped 23%, trust in broadsheet newspapers, Times, Telegraph, Garden, etc., 29%, trust in tabloids, 42%, whoever trusted them anyway. Um, <laughs> wow, that is a dramatic collapse in trust. And if you're British, not all that, we're pretty cynical anyway. So for that level of distrust to come in, we are a cynical culture that's fed up of being lied to. 
Don't you long for truth? And if you're a Christian here tonight, isn't that just one of the reasons we love Jesus? Because he gives us truth. Because he is the truth. So in John's gospel, John 1, John would declare, we've seen his glory, full of grace and truth. Chapter 18, before Pilate, Jesus will say, the reason I was born and came into this world was to testify to the truth. Or even more bluntly, John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am truth. That is fantastic news. Christians belong to Jesus, and when we value him, we value the truth. When other things matter more than him, truth gets sidelined. So when we care more about our reputation, more about our comfort, more about winning than Jesus, then truth gets sidelined. But when we love him, we'll tell the truth. Of course, the New Testament is pretty bleak, um, um, pretty clear. The, the Satan is the father of lies. Jesus is the truth. When you tell lies, you're acting as if you belong to him, even though you don't. When you tell the truth, you're acting like Jesus, which for Christians is the right thing to do. We have to be people of truth. Our culture is a funny mix. So on the one hand, uh, people don't want their opinions challenged. So we'll live in uh, little echo chambers on the internet and only engage with people who are like them and ooh, run away from uh, anyone who has a sort of different opinion or just anathematize them and never have anything to do with them. So on one, level, on one hand, we don't want anyone telling us the truth. On the other hand, everyone is just crying out just for truth. Christians have got to be people of truth. In a church... We've got to be a culture which tells the truth in loving relationship with a concern for others. No one wants the self-appointed truth czar going round. So I don't really know you very well, but you are too angry and you are too tall and you are too blonde and you are too blingy, whatever it may be. No one wants the self-appointed. In relationships with people we know, truth. I read a book last week, uh, Stephen Abel, Stig is his nickname, Stig Abel, How Britain Really Works. Very good, I commend it to you. But um, uh, he is a, a sort of a journalist by background uh, and uh, for a num number of years was chairman of the Press Complaints Commission uh, and was chairman of the Press Com Complaints Commission when uh, the phone hacking scandal broke and the news of the world got in all sorts of trouble and indeed had to shut down. Uh, he was in charge of the, you know, massive, enormously stressful job at the time. Uh, and after that, um, he was employed by The Sun for a couple of years because they were desperately keen to clean up their act a little bit. So they thought, well, let's get the bloke who from the Press Complaints Commission to come with us. Now, he's an atheist, self, uh, self very, very vocal about that, and uh, deeply cynical about uh, all religions. But um, he was writing about his time uh, working for The Sun and saying how bizarre it was. Um, and, uh, but there's a little footnote. He says, I kept clashing uh, on a number of things with the, uh, the senior uh, libel lawyer. Uh, and there's a little footnote, and you read the footnote. He said, by the way, I need to, need to say, the senior lawyer or at the Sun about libel, who, what they can print, 
He's an evangelical Christian. What a weird job for a Christian uh, to be doing that sort of thing at the sun. And we just went hammer and tongs at one another over religious beliefs. But I've got to say, for someone I disagree so passionately with, he was a wonderful man and the highlight of my time, really, at the sun. Patience of a saint, ha-ha. Um, that's him saying that. Uh, but he was there to make a difference. And it's just, it's, he just has this quite long footnote. He's clearly very struck by someone who's committed to the truth in a culture which isn't always. If you're a Christian here, you and I, we need to be people of truth. So no slander. We should be people who give one another the benefit of the doubt. Who give people a chance to explain themselves. Who don't believe gossip without evidence. Just because one person tells it to us, doesn't matter. We don't pass it on. No slander. We, our default setting should be to trust one another. Unless there's clear evidence to the contrary. That should be our default to trust, not a default of cynicism, of protection. Wouldn't that be great? No slander, no exaggeration. It would be wonderful to live in a culture, a church culture, where you know that people tell it straight and you know that you can rely on them. How wonderful if there was a survey. Survey was done, uh, what a, Ipsos, Mori come in and do a survey, and they interview everyone, I don't know, 400 people uh, uh, over the congregations at CCM, and say, do you trust the people, the membership of your church? And 100% of people said, yes. I trust my brothers and sisters at church. Wouldn't that be great? Don't you be in that sort of place? Well, we tell the truth, no slander, no exaggeration, no truthiness. We'll all make mistakes, but a culture where we're honest and able to say, do you know what? I've got to be honest. You know, last Thursday we were meant to meet up and um, I said I was stuck at work. I wasn't. I, I, just, I just selfishly wanted a night on my own. But I want, I want you to be able to trust my words. So look, I'm sorry. It's bad. Don't intend to do it again but I so care that you can trust me that I'll confess my faults. Wouldn't that be good? I mean, better not to do it in the first place, but wouldn't that honestly be good? Don't you want to be a church where people say, I don't belong to the father of lies. I belong to Jesus, who's the truth, and I love him more than my reputation. I love him more than my comfort because I see him and I see that the truth is beautiful. And I want to be like him. Don't you want to be that sort of church? We're not false. We're honest. We're true. We tell the truth. Let's pray together.
Our great God and Father, we thank and praise you that in the Lord Jesus Christ, we see the one who is truth, the one who came to testify to the truth, the one who was willing to die rather than compromise the truth, the one who in dying paid for all our lies. Father, we confess that we are not consistently truthful. We do exaggerate. We do have far too great a concern for our reputation, for our comfort, for winning in different scenarios. Sometimes they can be pathetic little things. How far can you swim? Father, would we be so impressed by the Lord Jesus, so thrilled that he has paid for all our lies upon the cross, that we would long, that we'd have the strength, the desire to be like him and tell the truth. Father, if we are a church which consistently in love speaks the truth to one another, what a fantastic place we'll be. Father, we want it. Move us in that direction, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.